Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and we are taking a break from recording a episode for the Thanksgiving for this being Thanksgiving week. And instead, we are going to share with you a sermon preached at First Presbyterian Church in Dyersburg, Tennessee, by Assurance of Pardon's own Gage Jordan. This is a sermon on hospitality and why it's important for all Christians. Uh, so check this out. This is uh, Gage Jordan on Acts chapter 2 and hospitality. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We'll pick it up in just a second in verse 42. Acts chapter 2. When we think about the concept of hospitality in the room, if you're a lady in the church, you may think that immediately Pastor Gage is about to give a sermon on why I need to be Betty Crocker for Jesus. And anxiety ensues. Or, if you haven't already, the guys in the room now at this point have checked out because isn't hospitality really more for the women in the church? Well, that was what comes to your mind when you saw that we were going to be talking about hospitality today. Welcome. We actually have a lot to discuss Because here's a few things you may not realize about hospitality that we need to understand getting into our discussion today. First, despite what your spiritual gift survey that you took years ago may have graded you, hospitality is actually not on the list of spiritual gifts. It's not in Romans, it's not in 1 Corinthians, it's not in Ephesians. It's not in 1 Peter. Now, you may look at 1 Peter and go, Gage, it says to be hospitable. It does before Peter starts the list of spiritual gifts. You didn't get me. It's not on there. Not that these lists are necessarily exhaustive, but it's worth considering that every time that hospitality is mentioned in the scriptures, it's actually mentioned as a general direction, a general imperative, a general charge to the church as a whole. Second, it's also worth noting that being hospitable is actually a qualification for the elder, both in 1 Timothy and in Titus. So guys, now that you've checked back in, guess who should be leading hospitality in your home? Guess who should be chairing the hospitality team or committee if we ever have one here at the church? Third, 
It's vital that we make a distinction between hospitality and fellowship. While at times, as Pastor Bill was sharing, hospitality may involve food, it doesn't always involve table fellowship. Those two things are actually different things. So how should we, as a church, think about hospitality? Well, the big idea I want us to walk away with today, and if you're the type A note-taking, here's your time. Hospitality is the door into the church. Bill did a fantastic job with the pineapple analogy. I learned something new today. The welcome mat. Hospitality is the door to the church, and it's a part of our DNA. Hospitality actually comes from a Greek word, philozenia, which means practical kindness to the stranger. So it has more to do with than just simply having people over. It does involve that at times. But oftentimes, if you think who you invite over, you're normally eating and hanging out with your friends. You're not hanging out with strangers. We typically do that with people we know. We tend to not have dinner parties with random people. But this is exactly what Jesus is getting at when he reigned on the parade of the Pharisees, when they invited him to dinner, and the first thing he says is, hey, when you throw a party, you probably shouldn't invite people that can't pay you back. You actually probably should invite and show honor to people that can't advance your agenda or social status. They can't really do anything for you. They couldn't even muster up enough resources to have you over to their house for dinner. You should the cripple and the lame and the blind and the needy. So as we look at this passage today, there's four things I want us to see. Hospitality is doctrinal. Hospitality is uniting. Hospitality is needs-focused, and hospitality is outreach. Say that again. Hospitality is doctrinal. Hospitality is uniting. Hospitality is needs-focused, and hospitality is outreach. So let's turn our attention to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to pick it up in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have, both that are with us today and those that may be watching online, to gather together as your people and hear the word of God proclaimed and to sing to you and to praise your name and, and hear the scriptures read and use the very breath that you have given us to give back to you and do the very thing we were made for to glorify you and, and enjoy you. We ask now that you would take this time 
of sacred reading and proclamation of the word through preaching and do the thing that I can't do. Open eyes, change hearts, raise the dead, strengthen those who need it. That we would be a people of hospitality because you first welcomed us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see is hospitality is doctrinal. Notice what it says in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. If we're honest, oftentimes we've read this verse or heard this verse taught and we tend to approach this passage like it's this utopian society that if the church could just get our stuff together, maybe one day we possibly could be this grandiose community that we read about. And hundreds of books are written to this end. Either it's an argument against the established church and arguing for house churches, or it's an argument for why you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, that you can praise the Lord in your deer sand or duck blind or at your home or wherever else. Because really, we need to get back to what this early church is doing. That's actually not what's happening here at all. Because hospitality, part of what's being shared here, is doctrinal. It's theological. It's part of what we teach and what we believe. And notice what it says here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. This is who we are. We are a community of the apostles. We are a community of faith. In fact, this is what we have in mind when you hear Presbyterians use language like covenant community. That's what we are. We are a group of people dedicated to a set of beliefs and to do the things we do, even how we spend time together for a specific reason. In Sunday school today, we talked about and wrestled with this question, are we better off without religion? And I kind of pushed back against this wave that we have in our culture right now to use religion like it's a bad word. That's what we are. That's what this is. We are in a religion. We practice religion. It's who we are. We are a covenant community. And this concept of what we see here in the text isn't something that's brand new. It's not as if they just started doing this in Acts after the resurrection of Jesus. Long before Jesus was telling stories about who to throw parties for and telling you about kings who threw parties and, their, and his friends didn't show up so he goes through the highways and the byways, Yahweh was telling his people to be in covenant with the stranger. To be a community of hospitality. It's the reason that when we were doing our responsive reading together today, I had you read Leviticus 19 alongside Matthew 22. So you could read the Leviticus passage and realize you should love the stranger as yourself. That sounds like something I've heard before. Oh, I should love my neighbor as myself. This is the second greatest commandment. This isn't something new. It's something that's always been a part of the people of God. Hospitality, being in a covenant community together, brings the stranger into that community. It's how they hear about the gospel. 
Pastor Bill was dead on when he told the kids that you, you build relationships and you share your toys and you share your food and you're not stingy and you're loving and kind so that one day there might be an opportunity for you to tell that friend, that guest about Jesus. Hospitality does that. We have a covenant-keeping God who keeps all of his promises. He's the God of the universe. And in this DNA that he's given us as image bearers, it's who we are to be hospitable. It's what we believe. And notice how the passage bookends here. It begins with a group of people gathered listening to the teachings of the apostles. And what, what is the, the doctrine of the apostles? What are the teachings of the apostles? You have it in your hands. It's the scriptures. They were telling that they were doing the very thing that God promised would happen when the Spirit came. They were recalling to mind all the things that Jesus had taught them, and they were taking the Old Testament and showing how Jesus was the Messiah. And guess what? The, the story hasn't changed. 66 books, two testaments, one canon, 40 different authors, one story. We do the same thing. Today, the book that you have in your hand is the apostles' teachings. And all the apostles were doing is what Jesus promised would happen. And then there's the way that this section ends. Day by day, the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. How do you, do you think that was happening? Well, it's because the covenant community wholeheartedly believed that the things the apostles were telling them was the very word of God and it was changing their eternity so they needed to go tell every single person they knew friend family and stranger because this God of the universe had come down and was hospitable with them and it changed everything so then we see them gathering together with their neighbors, their family, their friends to hear what was being taught to them and what was happening in fellowship together, what was being proclaimed and sharing the Lord's Supper together. They brought them in. Hospitality is the door to the church. It's who we are. It's doctrinal. But not only that, hospitality is uniting. Notice what it says in verse 44. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. All who believed. Hospitality is a tool of the covenant community. And this goes back to kind of what we talked about last week when we talked about how we should walk and how we're united. Hospitality is a part of that. We believe in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That happens and is communicated inside hospitality. Our community and our commonality as that community of faith supersedes or goes far above any other identity marker we may put on ourselves. Let me say that again. Our commonality as Christians, the thing that unites us, the thing that makes us a church, the thing that brings us together far exceeds any other identity marker we may have. So when we read that they had all things in common, 
It didn't say they voted for the same guy. It didn't say they liked the same sports team. It didn't say they believed everything exactly the same and agreed on all things. No, we see like in two chapters later, they can't figure out who's going to feed which widows. And so they need deacons. That's why we need deacons. Because we will argue over things that we don't need to argue over and there needs to be some guys in charge to help us. But the commonality here comes down to who they are and what they're united to. Because hospitality forces us to be mission-driven. It forces us to focus on bringing in the strangers so we don't have time to argue about things that really don't matter at the end of the day. Eternity is at stake. There's something that supersedes all that other that will fade away. Rosaria Butterfield, the person who wrote the meditation in your um, bulletin today, wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's one of those that changed my world. And it's one of those that I'll read and make a point to read every single year. It's that good. In the book, she tells of wonderful stories how her family practices what she calls radically ordinary hospitality. And in that, she shares how in a conference talk, she was wrestling with how um, the church should love the LGBTQ community because she came out of that community. And she said this, that Christians tend to make sure you know what we're against so you don't misunderstand us and think if we don't tell you what we're against, you might actually think we're approving. But the reality of the matter is we need to make a distinction between accepting someone and approving of them. I can accept you as an image bearer of God, as my neighbor, as my friend, and not approve of you at all. Those things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. So when we come to the table, just like we do every single week, we don't have to tell you everything we know. We don't have to tell you everything we disagree on. We don't have to argue about everything. The dinner table is not Facebook. Because at the end of the day, it's about welcoming in the stranger and looking for the opportunity to introduce them to the one that can take their sin away. Hospitality is uniting because it pushes us and reminds us of verses like what we're reading. That the thing that unites us is Christ and him crucified. Hospitality is uniting because it forces us to evaluate what really matters. And if we're going to bring in the stranger, if we're going to love the one who isn't familiar with church and Jesus and the scriptures, we're quickly going to have to check our pride at the door. It takes dying to ourselves to realize the things that we have in common and that unite us isn't our politics, isn't our social status, isn't our sports teams, isn't anything else. It's the finished work of Jesus. 
Hospitality, at the same time, doesn't let sin slide by any means, so don't misunderstand me, but it causes us to bear with one another. And some of us, if we're honest, fall into categories. Either we have forgotten the assurance of our pardon here in this reality and have slipped into the role of the Pharisee, forgetting that we're forgiven and treating the other like, thank God I'm not like this sinner. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you're in this other category that you've forgotten the assurance of your pardon here in the gospel so much that you're struggling to hear you are forgiven. Either way, these groups often neglect hospitality because they've forgotten the hospitality that was given to them. Hospitality unites because it centers us around the truth of the gospel that each and every one of us were welcomed strangers into the family of God and are sinners desperately in need of a savior. So not only do we see that hospitality is doctrinal and hospitality is uniting, but we see that hospitality is needs focused. Let's pick it up in verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The unity that we develop in hospitality informs us how we look at the things that God has given us. We can't be together and have all things in common and have a death grip on our resources at the same time. We're forced here to do the thing that I tell my fourth through sixth graders in the village every single week when we're going through the workbook and I ask them for answers based off the verse we just read and they just spout the the Sunday school and Jesus, Jesus, everything's Jesus, Jesus, and they just like throw out all the answers they think I want to hear and I have to tell them on a regular basis, guys, let the verse tell you the answer. Hey, guess what? We got to do the same thing here. How did they have all things in common? How were they together? Well, that was, they were together in the fact that they didn't see their possessions as their own. They didn't see their resources as mine and you get yours and and you figure it out. They sold their belongings and their possessions to any who had need. We're forced here in hospitality to notice that this idea of common and this idea of resources goes hand in hand. We see Luke's author note later on again in chapter 4 of this same historical account when he says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. And they were, there was not a needy person among them. But as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought, them, brought the proceeds of what was sold... And laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each 
as any had need. Now, before you hear me saying you need to sell all your houses, I'm not giving you a David Platt-esque book today. But I am saying that while this isn't a blank check to every single need or request that we get, it is a call for an intentionality on the part of the community of faith in our hospitality. We can't share the possessions with anyone that has need if we aren't in each other's lives to know what the needs of our community and the community around us is. This can't happen in isolation. This is one of the beautiful things about a legacy of a church that's 167 years old. We can look back and see the example that has been set for us up to this point in helping build this very church. Resources were shared. Accounts were created. Land was given. Buildings established. This is our heritage. This is our DNA. This is a part of who First Pres is. And having a hospitality that's needs-focused allows us to continue to welcome the stranger and do the work of the kingdom. Which brings me to my last point. Hospitality is outreach. It is one and the same. They are equal. Notice what it says in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We, think, we tend to think about this idea of outreach as always event-oriented. We need the bells, the whistles, we need to capture attention. That's what it, we need to go out and do this big thing. And that tends to be outreach. Now, are bells and whistles in and of themselves bad? Is, is manpower and volunteerism bad? No, this is the volunteer state, right? This is part of who we are as Tennesseans. But I would argue that outreach at its core sometimes can be more simplistic. Monday, I was at the church working in the office and... Every mom of a little in here knows this text message that I received. Katie sent me a text and said, I had every intention of cooking. Please, please go pick up a pizza. And all the mamas said amen. Right? Well, as I'm headed to Domino's, I get on my app, I order, because I know they take their sweet time. And so I order it, and I pack up and get some other things going. And I pull into the drive-thru to pick up dinner for that night. And I look and I see a baby in a car seat in the kitchen area. And then I look again and I see a mama consoling a second baby in the kitchen area. And I thought, I know that look before, that baby must be screaming. And then the young man that came to the window couldn't have been more than 16 or 17. And he opened the window and he's asking me what I need and he got me a pizza and I said, hey, how old's your little one? 
Because he was trying to feed his son as he's getting my pizza. And he said, oh, he's almost nine months. I said, I have a nine month old. And we bonded for a second. I looked at him and I said, hey, hang in there. He said, I'm trying. And he ran off to take care of another order. What would it look like if the grandmas in the room just walked into Domino's one day and said, hey, we're going to take care of your kids so you can work. It's not flashy. We're not going to do a flyer for it. It won't make the newspaper. No one may know anything about it. But that's hospitality. And that's outreach. Would that take notice? Do you think they would go home and go, these grandmas just came in and they told me what to do and they're older than me so I just handed the baby and it was the craziest thing but I got to get my shift done and it was awesome. Do you think maybe word would get around about First Presbyterian Church at that point? Wouldn't cause, have to have a bunch of manpower, we wouldn't have to set up daycare and licensure at the church, it would just be grandmas and mamas loving babies. That's what I'm talking about. So as we look at this passage, they're gathering for worship, they're having dinner in their homes, they're praising God, they're living intentionally with those around them, and look what happens when that happens. And day by day, the Lord is adding to them those who are being saved. See, the scriptures are written originally not in English. We're thankful for it. But it's written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. And the New Testament specifically is written in Greek. And why that matters is... It says they were eating their food with glad and generous hearts. And I just got to tell you, if you let me use my degree for just a second, that word glad doesn't cut it. In the Greek here, the idea is this idea of exaltation or extreme joy. And when it says that they had favor... With everyone around them, it doesn't just mean that they were liked by people, although that is, again, a qualification of an elder to have a good reputation with outsiders. How does he do that? By having friends that are lost, that don't know Jesus, and being out in the community and known for it. But this idea of favor here could be translated, they had grace with everyone around them. They were so intentional in their relationships that it was as if the grace of God was pouring out onto their neighbors. That's what it tells us that the early church is like. A few weeks back, I had the privilege of eating lunch with some of you. Now, before I get an email or a text message later. Barbara, I know lunch is a, the time that we had the meal. Dinner is what we had. <sighs> Yankees from Baltimore, I tell you. But we were having a meal. And when I tell you, in a time where getting together is so scarce and cautious and brings with itself anxiety, what it looked like for us just to hang out and the food to flow 
and the butter on the biscuits. And y'all, Miriam can cook. I don't know if you know that. It was great. And you could tell it was missed. It's a sense of something. When the saints come together, it should be attractive. It should be inspiring. It should make the stranger and the neighbor go, man, there's, there's something special about this community. I saw the effects of this last week when we had our drive-in movie night. We had 60 or 70 people, teenagers I had never seen before, community members I had never seen before, families that go to CCA that I had never seen before. And it wasn't because of Gage. I've been here two months. I don't have those relationships. You do. You invited your neighbor. You invited your friend. You picked up the neighborhood kids and brought them. And I know because y'all went to the bathroom 17,000 times. Like you, you did that. That's outreach. That's hospitality. That's what it looks like. And let me say this. There should be no other community that is more hospitable than we are. There should be no one that throws better parties than we do. Because no one has anything to celebrate better than we do. There should be no community more gracious than we are. Hospitality is doctrinal. Hospitality is uniting. Hospitality is needs focused. And hospitality is outreach. Hospitality is the door of the church. And it's a part of our DNA. Because we are people, people who were strangers that were welcomed in. This is what it means when Paul tells the Ephesians that you who were once far off have been brought near. And you who were outside the commonwealth have been brought into the family of God. And Christ has reconciled in himself two people and made you one. We are a people whom the God of the universe has come down and made fellowship with, took our sin away, absorbed the wrath of God that we deserved and invites us not just to come to his table, but to be in his family. May we imitate our king. Let's pray. Most gracious heavenly father, make us a people of hospitality. Help us to see that hospitality is the door into the church. That at the end of the day, people are going to come and lives are going to be changed when the gospel is preached and the spirit is at work, not because of how great our programs are, not because of how dynamic our speaker is or great our music is, all those things could be true. But it's ultimately because of the relationships that are going to happen when the community moves for the sake of the gospel. And we move because you moved. We love because you first loved us. May we be people that imitate our king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.